Yeah, but Jack DeGale was a crap fight anyway. Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast. We have a full house for you today. We have Martin Theobald, who bears no responsibility for there not being a podcast last week. <laughs> and uh, you're going to take full responsibility, right, Tell? Well, for, for <laughs> delivering good content, yeah. Put your hand up. Yeah. You know, if my job was recording, then we'd have a podcast yeah. last week. <laughs> right. so, uh, so, yeah, basically what we're saying we is the button it like, was no one's fault. Have you gents had a good week? Uh, No, I've been struck down with man flu for the week. On the back end of Budapest, I've been uh, feverish, laid out in bed, so it's been pretty quiet for me. Those hookers are ridden, mate. Those hookers are ridden. That's the kind of fever I'm contracting. Uh, You'd know. Yeah, man flu is the worst, least of my problems. <laughs> Can't get a cream for man flu, but you can get cream for what you got. Uh, Terry? Um, oh, shit. I did the Goodwin show on Tuesday. Um, you know, got sold down the river. <laughs> There's nothing no, worse. Never. No, 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 you need to hear this. So I walk into Steve's office, right? Um... <laughs> I sit down and get comfortable. I'm suffering with man flu. I'm delusional at this point. So. <laughs> yeah. So Martin, Martin's like, yeah, so Terry, I told Steve in Budapest over about 15 pints. I told Steve that you said well, you once said you'd never train a fighter to sign with Steve Goodwin. And I'm ha- I'm looking dead at the guy. And I'm like, <gasps> okay. I- I- I'm-, I'm a long way from home. You know? Lock the door, Steve. <laughs> you know, as Joe Pesci said, when a lot of problems get buried in the desert. <laughs> It all worked out well. We left friends. <laughs> you know, I had to really pull it together after that. Good start at the bottom, innit? <laughs> yeah, it's nothing like uh, your mate's looking out for you in situations like that. <laughs> Martin. He's good like that, is Martin. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's out of nowhere. Okay, so this weekend we had ITV doing their debut when it comes to the old boxing. What do we think of this venture? Are we going to start off talking about the overall experience or the fights? Well, that's kind of why I dished it up. So, well, you could choose, but I was thinking more of the... Uh, like, the, Don't they not fizz into one, given the, the quality of the fight? Yes and no. Like, let's start with the experience. And for the experience, um, I thought it was important to bring with me a prop, gents. <laughs> so, always work well on a, on a listening always medium. Always works well. So I brought one for each of us. <laughs> a lukewarm... Can of Fosters. That's that's actually pretty pretty cold considering. Well, actually, uh, I forgot. I've been around my parents this afternoon, and uh, I left these there on New Year's Eve, so they gave them back to me. <laughs> Mine looks like uh, it's ready to explode all over me. So yeah, let's make this podcast more interesting. Uh, they they offer a guy who doesn't drink beer beer. This is good. Can you hear that? <laughs> there we go. Oh, oh, you should see the way Andy's drinking. You'd never have known, you know, this man once saw active service. That was like the lamest sip I've ever seen. Yeah, what kind of service, though? <laughs> full, so, right. Full service or just hand service? These have a... <laughs> Jeez. 
These have a very specific reason, right? ITV4 last night coming back into boxing. The experience to me was the same as these cans of beer I've just pulled out of my bag. They were a lukewarm can of Foster's. Which in itself is pretty watered down. I like the meat, the, the, uh, no, no, the no, no, no. bear with me where the analogy is oh, right, going. Okay, sorry. Right. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't what you would get in a pub. It wasn't, you know, if we, when I've seen people comparing <laughs> on Twitter and I saw Barry Hearn retreat, retweet someone saying, um, you know, compared to even a sky undercard, it was rubbish. It's like, well, for a start, this is free and sky you pay for. Right, so bear that in mind. Um, this is their first venture into it for a very long time. Sky have been doing it for a very long time, so it didn't leave a terrible taste in the mouth. Unlike these probably cans of Foster's will, <laughs> um, but it wasn't the most polished or pristine of events. It was average. Like I was texting a mate about, it, I'd say six out of ten, but six out of ten isn't terrible. This isn't Tesco value levels of, of service that we got out of And it. Martin's tried everything with alcohol. I've tried it. everything. I've tried... <laughs> <laughs> that used to be my hangover cure. Good more water. <laughs> but you drink enough of it, you get... You come around to mine for some uh, ethanol injections. No, mine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it wasn't the greatest fights. It wasn't the greatest um, production. It wasn't the greatest event. But all of it was okay. Um, I have issue with stuff like very small details. Um, where Dave, uh, not Dave Cole, uh, David Price, Duke McKenzie, and the uh, the lead presenter were stood around at the end, and they were doing um, a bit of a post show rundown. They've got the ITV Sport uh, banner, electronic banner, over the top of the uh, the people on camera. It just looked amateur. Like, it looked like it had been drawn in paint. Like, those little things Sky wouldn't be doing. But again, you've got to give ITV time to bed into this. So, you know, for ITV4's debut into doing it, you know, committing to doing it, it wasn't horrible. I'd say 6 out of 10 is a reasonable score for it. And I think they they were okay. Um, but here's the problem. They have two weeks to fix it before everyone pays all their money towards Eubank Jr. They can't roll out the same production trucks for that as they did in Preston. Um, I, I'm i not going to shit on Richard Poxon. Um, I'm, I'm prepared to give him a chance. I think it's fair. Um, you know, he's starting from a long way behind everyone else. And I include some of the small hall guys in that list. My issue with it was ITV just dusted out the crap. That's that, So it's not a problem with Richard Poxon. I don't think he made this call. But... I don't want to hear Ronald McIntosh. Like, like the guy's just not, he, he, he's not that engaging as a TV voice. You, know, you, you listen to Ronald McIntosh and you're like, well, whatever, to be honest. Not Richie Woodall has been recycled from every channel going. Richie Woodall, for me, he's just the guy that lost to Roy Jones and lost badly. The guy that, you know, everyone talked about, but wasn't really anything. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but how on earth this guy gets to compensate on everything? And he's just known for, what's his expression? He's holding his feet. You know, he just needs to get behind his jab and work behind his jab. That is all the insight Richie Woodall will give you into a fight. So I don't see what the value of that is. What ITV really needed was a real proper color co commentator. You know, like the same way that you get someone like Roy Jones who puts that color in. Malanaji comes over for for the yeah. decent sky events. Yeah, you, you need someone who's able to give you that color. And I don't think they've got the mixed rights on that. And I don't think Macintosh is at that level. Like he's good for the amateur stuff because 
233 three minute rounds and you know that's about all you can tolerate but i thought it was a shame that they used those two because it's a fresh setup it's a fresh opportunity and you've recycled some commentators from other shows like that to me that was a bit of a letdown could that be attributed to their desire to maybe not take a gamble yeah, and it, fresh talent? It may well be that they wanted that air of familiarity. I know this is going to sound controversial. I would have whacked Calzaghe in there. Yeah. That's, a, that's the one guy I would have whacked in there. I would have said, do you know what? Sky have froch. Let's put Calzaghe in here. Well, do you know what? Eubank, <laughs> Eubank Senior was there for the event. They kept oh, how cutting good, to him. How good did he look, though? He just wouldn't even, he wouldn't even acknowledge the camera, but he knew yeah. it was there. But, uh, you know, they, regal. they cut to him many times during the evening, as you'd expect. You shove him on commentary for one of the fights. <laughs> for his son's fight, just keep him up the ring. <laughs> but it, it would have made something more interesting. But, you know, the whole the show as a whole was... Um, okay, uh, I thought um, Jack Armfield and Hall on the undercard. I was surprised Hall was allowed to go on for as long as he was with his forehead swelling the way it was, and it was like huge by the end. Um, I trust he's okay. I haven't seen anything come off the back of it, but I didn't think it was. Um, I sat, I was sat with my wife watching it and saying, you know, <laughs> I really hope there's not a problem here for Hall. Um, I, you know, I'd rather they'd stopped it earlier than let that carry on. Because the last thing ITV need is in their first step back into boxing is to go and get somebody seriously injured on the card. Um, it was just, it was, it was a strange one, and I, I said this to a friend afterwards. It felt like I should have just been there in person. Like I, I wasn't getting the thing from ITV. So you know, with a Sky card, you get a sense of occasion. So when you've got everyone in the O2 and it's going crazy, and you get a sense that this is something big. With this one, it was like, well, it's kind of small. I should have just been there, you know, popped into Preston for a few drinks, you know, just gone over to the show. It They didn't give me anything I wouldn't have got if I hadn't shown up in person. So they need to fix that. The production values aren't where they need to be. You know, I said it before, man, find those people that did blind date or something. Just anyone who knows a bit about lighting, because I thought the ring was worryingly dark. I didn't think that was a good environment to be boxing in. Just my opinion. And then you had um, Robbie Davis Jr. versus Sabo as the uh, the main event, which um, I tweeted something ironically about two minutes before Davis goes and throws a wicked, wicked left hook to finish the fight. Um, but I tweeted something about, you know, it'll be interesting with more and more exposure for, uh, say, ITV, use another small hall promoter or use various ones up and down the country. It'll be interesting to see some of the myths blown away within kind of the fighters that you don't get to see on Sky. So Robbie Davis Jr. goes into this fight with a huge reputation. You know, he's a danger to Ahara Davis. He's a danger to Josh Taylor. He's spoken about in those breaths. And then you actually get to see him on TV. Um, And was he that level? Not to me. Um, He was catching Zabo clean, like left and right. The switch hitting was just doing my nutting. Like... If you can switch it well and you've got the power with both, then fine. And he does it very, very slickly. Um, it's not necessarily a criticism of his uh, ability to switch it or his ability to switch between stances. But he just I see switch it as people that have either perfected boxing in one stance and got all the power they can possibly need or people that are looking to use it as an advantage. I didn't necessarily think he was doing either with it. It almost seemed like it was for show at points and Zabo was... A fantastic little defensive boxer. I've seen various people tweeting about, 
you know, if he could get the right coaching, if he could get the attack to back up the defense, he would be, he would be a, a proper talent, but he's also a proper test. He took, so, uh, he took Robbie Davis Jr. late. Um, it was a great shot that finished it. And, you know, maybe it did then, uh, make a mockery of my tweet about, you know, he doesn't necessarily carry the power that people assumed he did before they saw him on TV. Um, but yeah, Robbie Davis Jr. didn't do an awful lot for me in that fight. It was interesting. So we've got ITV's debut. When are we seeing the next instalment? Do we know? February the 4th, I imagine. Do you see that as being... Do you see there's any pitfalls in what they've provided so far that they're going to have to change before the next showing? Well, look, they, 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 they decided to cover a card which I imagine had been set up a while ago. Um, you whack some cameras and some lights in there, film it, and go, right, we'll give them this for free. Your hope is that what they give us with Eubank is a few levels above, which would justify paying for it. But if if this means that ITV will go down to Bristol for a few of those cards, go down to Cardiff for a few cards, you know, go down to Portsmouth, go down to some, you know, Luton. If, if ITV are willing to do that, go to Sheffield, you know, because you look at Sheffield, Ryan Rhodes is producing boxes. Clinton Woods is producing boxes. The Ingles are still producing boxes. Um, don't know if Warren Rainey's still knocking about, but he'll be producing boxes. You could have a card in Sheffield of people you should know about, if you but you don't know about. It depends on what ITV want to do. If, from, for what it's worth, by the way, um, I've got it on good authority from uh, somebody that was chatting with ITV executives about it last night, that their plan is they've got 15 UK shows lined up over the next 12 months, three of which will be pay-per-view, and there are five international shows. So it'll be 12 just domestic, free-to-air ITV4 presumably shows, um, three pay-per-view, and then five overseas is, is the plan. I look at it and go, will we get to a year? I My sense is ITV will realise one of two things they'll realize actually we're a minnow in this and all we'll ever cover are small hall shows and so all we are is a scouting platform for sky frank warren and or any other promoter and they'll just pull out or they'll go it'll be too expensive to compete we're just going to pull out forget all of this we've tried our best with this and we'll just step away. I, I can't see where the longevity is in this, if that makes sense. I think it depends on what their expectation to get out of it is. Um, because they can't be expecting 200,000 viewers or whatever for, for that. Or maybe they can. Um, but it depends how realistic they've set their own expectations as to what they're going to deem a success. Because, um, you know, they may be starting now with the Preston shows and presumably the other... 12 kind of ITV4 domestic shows they plan on showing going to be of a, a similar level. If that's the case, then they've got something to build on. They can look to build that. You know, small hall promoters, if they start getting the money in with a bit of TV production, they can start to build their cards more. You know, this is show number one. I think it's not necessarily a nail in the coffin by any means from it. I think it's a platform that they can build on. If that's show one, I'd be, I'm really interested to see what show 10 would be like. I would have thought that uh, domestic free-to-air TV almost benefits as well from um, predictability and regularity, i.e. there'll be some people that would watch a boxing match, not necessarily picking it apart for its its uh, pros and cons, but like, say, my granddad, he's not 
Um, he's certainly by no means an authority on boxing, but he'll happily watch a boxing match. And if he knows it's going to be on on a Saturday, then he'll make a point of putting it on instead of maybe, you know, watching a film or watching. Casually. Or yeah, yeah. It's, if, if, well, if it's there and it's available. Well, let, let's separate consumer behavior for what it really is, right? You're sat there and you've got Atif Shafiq. The first thing you're going to do is Google who the hell Atif Shafiq is. Yeah, if and it matters to you, though. Well, no, no, no. But this is what happens, right? And my granddad won't be Googling anyone. But but generally, <laughs> but generally, this is boxing people. Because what happens? You got your you got your TV screen in front of you. You probably got your laptop with Facebook going. You got your phone with Twitter going. Is you your granddad boxing. on Twitter, Andy? <laughs> let's, let's let's set the scene. Is he on Tinder? <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely on that. Hey, he's my granddad. He goes on Tinder. <laughs> it's in the blood. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the days when there was just a version of Yellow Pages with chicks in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, look, so that so that's what happens. I think what what people expected from ITV was give us guys who are on the fringes. So Adam Etches, perfect example. If you really know boxing, you know who Adam Etches is. If you kind of know boxing, you'll know who Adam Etches is. So that's what you want to see on ITV. The guys who, in your head, think about it. Look, who's the other one? Jack Cattrall's another example. Um, what's the guy that got done for slapping his girlfriend about? Uh, Jamie Cox. Jamie Cox would be another example. These are guys who you know, but you hardly get to see. And that's what you want to see on ITV. I, I don't know if I want to see small hall heroes, guys who will never rise above that level so if someone says to me Robbie Davis Jr he's at the top end of that why because and I know he stopped Zoltan Zaba but Zoltan Zaba just gave up the ghost in that fight and you know he had nothing left in the tank I think a fully fit light welterweight would have given that guy all kinds of trouble and ITV need I know with Eubank Jr is the pay-per-view star he, I don't think he'll do free to air so who's the free to air star um, Martin's heard me say this before I want to know from the beginning who I'm supposed to get behind. So are you saying that the depth of boxing talent in this country isn't uh, of the sort of requisite depth to have regular shows of quality on ITV? Let's just do the numbers, high-level numbers. ITV, 15 shows. Frank Warren wants to do, what, 40? That takes us to 55. Um, Her might do 20. 75 shows. Now... If David Hay decides to do some, we're looking at 80 boxing shows a year with a broadcaster attached to them. We don't have enough talent to justify that. 80 boxing shows a year. How many slots do you think there are for British boxers on there? Let's be realistic and say, okay, maybe there's 500 slots for British boxers in 2017. We don't have that kind of talent and when i say talent we could put we could put people on there by all by any stretch of the imagination you could put bodies in there and you know promoters would be happy but you're you don't have enough people to justify having that much content to, to produce the quality no that, right. because even we had this discussion before um maybe it was in the podcast the, the mythical podcast that was amazing <laughs> yet unrecorded it was the best ever <laughs> tbe <laughs> yeah. Take Joshua off Matchroom, take Brooke off Matchroom, and you're scratching around, really. You, it's not that deep. You've got Crawler, yeah, Quig, um, Smith. But once you get past that, that, that layer of Hearn favourites, there isn't really anything. And that's no disrespect to the young guys like Craig Richards and O'Hara Davis. They're still coming up. 
But there isn't anything beneath that that says we can put these guys on a card. And Hearn knows that. You mean Warren is probably even worse, you know? Why is that, though? Is it because the infrastructure is not there to produce the boxes that you would need because the there's never been any opportunities? The truth is, the, the, so the money's not there. So uh, are they, surely they, they feed each other. So if, uh, there might be a little lag for a little while, but once the money's in the system because there's more fights being produced and more consuming... I, I think the know. fact is that it's the same as a football system. That If you had a very, very, very talented young man coming out of the small hall circuits, he's going to get snapped up by Warren, by Hearn, etc. Hara Davis used to fight around at York Hall for a long time, then gets snapped up by Hearn. Those top talents and ticket sellers, to an extent, will end up with one of the bigger lads. So that means that your your top level from the very bottom have been taken, so you have to then start you know, bringing in talents to replace that. So... Uh, you know, you're, you're constantly on a system whereby you've got to replace at the bottom level. Um, and is there always that talent? There will be fits and, and waves of it. So sometimes there will be, and sometimes it'll be a little bit weaker. But the problem, the, the, the deep-seated problem with this is that we don't have enough coming out of the amateur system. So these amateur kids aren't fighting enough. Look, look, they told me, what did they say about how many times have Zoltan fought in a year? 17. Yeah. There can't be more than five amateur boxers in this country who've ever fought more than 15 times in a year. And I'm including tournaments in that. Now, I come from a rugby background and I am not averse to having played 20 or 30 games in a year. You know, you show up banged up, you still play. Why? Because you're building up that experience. And I think a lot of these young boxers are treating the amateurs like it's, like it's the pros. So they'll tell you they need a six-week camp to fight in one tournament, which isn't true. You should be able to show up and box. And all you should be using your amateur career for is learning. I think a lot of these guys, and Martin's heard me say this, a lot of these guys are learning on the job. And when you learn on the job, the crowd are looking at you like, you're a pro, you should know what you're doing. And that's the problem we have at the moment. Well, like Connor Ben. Connor Ben's reality TV. I like him. Um, he's been thrust into a position you wouldn't really want to be in, where he's held to a higher standard than anyone else with his level of experiences. Understandable. Commercially, he's viable. And they're trying to sell us a story. But he's still a novice fighter. And I don't mean just in terms of pro. He's a novice fighter in terms of total bouts. So we're watching it. It's reality TV for us. We're watching a guy learn on the job. You'd rather he had done a lot of it in the shadows. But it is what it is. Sorry, I digress. Martin, you got something to say? No, I was going to say, going back to the main event, I heard an interesting story. Don't know how true it is or not. Um, it was meant to be Willie Limon versus Robbie Davis Jr. as the main event. Uh, Willie Limon pulled out about two or three weeks before. Um, I heard from somebody uh, involved in the sport that allegedly um, that there were quite a few stories going around that one of the big boys, maybe Hearn, maybe Warren, maybe someone else, had paid uh, Willie Limon to pull out of that fight. Um essentially to try and derail the ITV show <laughs> so you make what is a fairly good first main event uh, and then you pay one half of it not to turn up. Um, I say this is alleged, I don't know how true it is. Um, may or may not have happened, but you can kind of see why it makes sense for it to happen. Made a hero out of Zoltan Zabo though. Yeah, go on Zoltan, got a career for life son. That's the problem, yeah. He, so they kind of derailed it, but actually it became a more enjoyable fight than you would have had with Willie Limmond who if we're being honest, isn't the greatest technician there is. So do we ultimately see this then, this ITV uh, deal coming together as a good thing for boxing 
in the bigger and the wider sort of um, context? And ultimately, do you see it um, feeding the boxing world and producing more quality? No. So what you what you'll have is you'll have almost like premiership boxing, so to speak. You will have the big boys competing and bidding up the value of guys like Daniel Dubois, Lawrence Okoli, Joshua Bartzi. These guys will now become premium products because you need them to anchor your shows. So they will increase in value immeasurably. But you have to make your budgetary adjustments so the guys at the lower end of the card are going to suffer. Um, there isn't enough money in boxing. Like, look, HBO Showtime are behemoths. I think it'll be interesting. I think, um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a death knell for it by any means. It'll be interesting to see what money ITV are willing to invest into it because ultimately that's what's going to drive the quality of it is how much they're willing to invest. If they give Richard Poxon a war chest to go out and uh, start signing up some of the, the top end of the kind of small hall promoters, say, uh, or any kind of floating talents, then you know that becomes a very different story. And then they've actually got a, a higher-end product. So it depends which, as I said earlier, how ambitious they are with the whole project will probably be driven by the budgets. Okay, speaking of promotional setups et al., we have David Hay. Um, that's all I have is the note for David Hay's promotional setup. And put some meat on the bones for me, then, Terry. It's fantastic. David Hay, you know, I get called Hay fanboy for merely stating facts. That he's so well-dressed. Um, well, not even that, <laughs> but, you know, the modern boxing template is essentially David Hay's playbook, right? The whole thing of who had T-shirts before Haymaker? No one really had those identifiable T-shirts. Um, the outside commercial opportunities, people didn't really exploit that. So now you have David Hay almost in the ultimate demonstration that he's prepared to gamble setting up his own promotional company. So Ringstar Haymaker, it's something I'd I'd sensed for a while and bits I'd heard about prior to the announcement, but it was still a surprise when it came because I didn't think it would have Schaefer involved. Um, you know, Schaefer had been around the gym, but I hadn't really twigged. Now, people say, oh, what's he going to do? Now, let's be absolutely clear about this. Richard Schaefer built Golden Boy. You know, this myth that Oscar De La Hoya somehow this savvy businessman is not true. It was... Schaefer, who who was actually involved, what was it? It was it was Mayweather, De La Hoya, Hopkins. Mayweather, Canelo, the Hopkins fights. He, you know, even De La Hoya versus Pacquiao. Schaefer's the deal maker. He's the guy. You know, he brings that corporate sheen to an organization, and there's a reason why Mayweather wanted him. Schaefer's a difference maker. So when you align with Schaefer. What you know is the operation is going to be smooth. Like There's going to be no jerking around. You've never heard anyone say Richard Schaefer ripped me off. Good reason. He's a businessman. I don't think he really needs the money. I don't think Hay will really need the money by the time he retires. And if you know David Hay well, what you'll know is he has a real dislike and distrust of promoters. Always has done. Always will. I don't think you need to know him that well, given his performance <laughs> in the uh, in the Bellew press conference. But it it gives that context now, doesn't it? Yeah. It, was, it was almost a declaration yeah, of war. Yeah. What yeah, did oh, say? Yeah. I'm going to end your business. Yeah. And I mean, when you get Richard Schaefer on board to say I'm going to end your business, that's that's like Russia going, I'm going to go to war with America. Oh, and I just brought the Chinese with me. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm excited. I I don't. I, we, I've spoken openly about what I think is needed in the market. Whether it's taken on board, I don't know. My thing is this. 
if you're going to set up a promotional company in 2017, understand what drives people. What drives people is content. It's those shares on Facebook. It's those shares on Twitter. It's the YouTube views. So you need a promotion where people can bang. All the fighters you sign have to be bangers with a degree of skill. So let's see who's actually signed. That that would be my approach. I'd sign hard-hitting people, probably across the weight divisions, but I'd focus on the bigger lads because that's what drives revenue. But it's all very embryonic at the moment. I think by the summer, we'll have a bit more clarity. I think you know the first signing is Tony Yoka. And if ever there was a successor to David Hay in terms of being a boxer who translates into every possible demographic, then it's Tony Yoka. I look, I run out of superlatives to describe the guy. Olympic gold medalist, you know, proud son of France, proud son of the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, very proud of his African roots, engaged to an Olympic gold medalist. They're, they are France's golden couple at the moment. That just screams money. And this is a guy who already has legitimate stories with guys like Joseph Parker, guys like, you know, guys in the pros he already has a legitimate story with. So let's see where they go with this. I'm excited about, you know, what the different what the different proposition will be. But I, I have faith. I think it's a, a partnership made in heaven, really. You've You've got Hayes obviously got the appetite to do this himself. He had the Haymaker promotions previously um, that he's had a couple of goes at. And then you've got Richard Schaefer, who's got previous and he's got the business acumen, he's got the boxing acumen for doing it. Um, David Hay has probably always needed that helping hand to really solidify it, whilst he's still an in-ring fighter anyway. Um, Richard Schaefer's done this business model before, as we said, with Oscar De La Hoya and setting up the whole Golden Boy promotions. It'll be interesting to see once, say, David Hayes steps out of the ring and finishes his career, if Schaefer will hang about with him. Um, because by that point, Schaefer will have made his own connections in the UK. He will be an established, you know, he's already an established name in boxing, no problem. He was brave enough to walk away from uh, De La Hoya at Golden Boy. It'll be interesting to see whether he would do the same thing with David Hay over here. So come over establish the the business and the connections and then cut the ties or you know whether he'll whether this is a long-term plan or not i mean the, the, one of the major questions over it all will be what channel does this land on uh, they said they've had various conversations with various channels about where they're going to put their shows um who knows at the moment it's a pretty busy set of avenues so you've got itv now committing to the the poxon deal channel five are still in with the mcguigans you've got sky and bt realistically Dave mate well Dave's an option like, as much as it you know you can laugh about it what else have you got the BBC had their fingers burnt with Audley Harrison all those years back whether they've ever got the appetite back for it their you know showing of live sports is less and less David Hayes kind of flashy persona and such like maybe doesn't fit with the BBC model um then you've got maybe Channel 4 I don't know like that's an option Dave is an option or you know, it's a bit left field, and I kind of said this before to you two, that it's, uh, is it going to be something else entirely? Is it going to be a Facebook, a YouTube, something like that? Is it going to be, you know, these people, TV is going down that route anyway. TV is going down a streaming route. You have less and less um, kind of scheduled programming that younger people watch. That's clearly who they're going to start appealing to. You have less of that scheduled kind of BBC One, BBC Two, ITV focus. You have more and more that stuff is taken on demand or stuff is streamed. So is it that you could end up with it on a 
a Facebook or an Apple or YouTube or something like that that just provides a different outlet to it that they can manage themselves it isn't under the typical tv contract um confined that all the other promoters are under who knows it'll be interesting to see netflix or amazon yep um i think everyone's going to watch to see what the grand tour does because i think if the grand tour does good numbers and good revenue then wow you'd want to be on that platform because i think my my thing with pay-per-view has always been this you need to be able to have customers make an impulse purchase so Sky do it with the red button. If you if you want to buy something on Sky box office, boom, you can hit a button and it just comes on your bill. And then you need a means of collection, which Sky have. That's why their pay-per-view operation is so slick because they essentially just collect. It's like, you know, right, we know we can collect this off you at any time. Brilliant. I think with ITV, you're going to struggle because you have to go to a website, register and all that sort of stuff, which the longer the customer journey, the more people drop off. So hopefully it'll be someone behind a paywall. Okay, onward, let's move to stuff count this weekend. We have Carl Frampton versus Leo Santa Cruz. Uh, a good fight on the face on face value. This is a rematch. Yes, Terry? I thought oh, you were going in, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers pointing everywhere. Um, they called it potentially fight of the year last year, so fully understand why you'd want to see that again. It was a nip and tuck fight. Well, according to some people, I thought I thought Frampton was in control. As I said to you, Santa Cruz is just busy. Um, since that fight, I've had brief conversations with the guys, and they're they're supremely confident because there is more Frampton can do. But then you, I look at I look at someone like Santa Cruz, and I've got a lot of time for Santa Cruz. But here's a man who throws a hundred punches around. I'm like. Oh he's not going to go to 120 punches around. His tank won't sustain that. So he's going to have to stay punching at 100 punches around. I think Frampton could up his work rate by 50% and not tire himself out. You know, if he keeps the accurate punches coming. I think the key punch will be, it'll just be, for me, it'll be the right uppercut through the middle. If he can calm Santa Cruz down with that, like he did with Scott Quigg, then Frampton can fight the fight that he wants to fight. But I think being at 126 is good for Carl. Um, makes the weight well, strong at the weight. Um, it'll be good for British boxing if he wins because then he'll be one of our few legitimate world champions because here's a guy who's winning belts and is prepared to fight anyone, anywhere. So, you know, you beat Santa Cruz, Gary Russell Jr. is floating around and all these other options. Scott Quigg will be floating around. <laughs> but, but, you see... <laughs> Please but, fight me. And, that's, and that, that will be Quigg's Fuck downfall. Yeah, that. <laughs> Should really do that. Um, look, Quig needs to leave Frampton alone, and he needs to focus on his own legacy. And if he does make it to the top, then they can fight each other again. But the build-up—if you're Al Heyman and you're looking to to generate some return on your investment—you want Frampton versus Selby. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's got all the the hallmarks of what could be another. Uh, cracking fight I think Santa Cruz will probably come in a little bit bigger I think he will probably try and use his size this time uh, whether that means rehydrating larger training differently to come in with a different um, body shape or you know whichever other means some of these boxers might use to get a little bit physically bigger <laughs> that we'd never even come close we, to mentioning no no on no, this no we, we wouldn't even insinuate um whichever route he takes to doing it i think he will come in looking bigger would be my guess uh because that's his main advantage over frampton you know frampton's proved in the first fight that he was the better boxer out of the two uh cruz might be the the busier 
Um, but Frampton proved that he's the better boxer. So I think Cruz has to look to bully him almost this time and try and pin him down a little bit more. Frampton's so quick, so wily in that ring. Um, Cruz has got to try and impose himself physically, I think, over over Carl. I don't see it happening. I think Carl is a special talent. I think he will ultimately do what he did the first time and probably do it a little bit better. I don't see him stopping him, but I think it will be a relatively clear points victory. So can we just have a brief um, prediction from you both for the fight? Uh, Yeah, I'll just repeat what I said 10 seconds ago. Uh, Frampton on points, probably slightly wider. I'm hoping for a stoppage. Um, I think Frampton's due an impressive stoppage. And I know they've been working to get the stoppage. Whether Santa Cruz is open for that sort of stoppage, I don't know, but I'd quite like to see the stoppage. And Martin, how do you think the fight's going to (laughs) end? I think it's probably going to be a points victory to Frampton. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move on to the questions. Uh, John Mulhall asks... How exactly does airtime work in boxing between promoters and TV station in terms of price points and how it actually works? Um, right, so it's paying for airtime, I think he's talking about. So it's looking at the American model where it's been born uh, through Al Heyman. And yeah, how does it work? So Al Heyman will go to whichever networks. I think he's got three, four networks that he's got on board with his project. Um he will essentially say to them, look, I will give you, and I don't know what the price points are for it. I'm sure it's probably publicly available. I'm just, I'm not aware of what it is. Bear in mind, he had a half a billion dollar war chest to start this off. And he's apparently used up over half of it. He's paying that money out to two places. One is to the um, TV companies and saying, I will buy an hour and a half, two hours worth of your TV time on a Saturday night to broadcast boxing. And then the other part of that money, where it's going, is out to the boxers in their purses. How it works is that once you've bought that TV time, so you've bought an hour and a half on CBS or whatever, NBC, I don't know what the fucking American TV channels are. Um, once you've done it, you buy Fox Sports TV time, you then recoup that money by selling out the advertising. So if you're showing an hour and a half um, TV program, you can sell the minute between rounds or whatever as adverts think how often adverts come up on american tv anyway is fairly is far more frequent than in um in british tv and in different ways as well they like sponsor little tags across the bottom of the screen and stuff yeah like that's that, true actually yeah uh, and don't rule out product placement as well would be the other thing um i don't really watch that many american broadcasts you know the kind of main ones that happen to be on sky get broadcast through sky anyway um there's the odd ones but terry probably watched more than i do so he can probably comment on that side of it but yeah, they you know Al Heyman will be recouping his money through the advertisements that take place throughout the shows. It's in terms of how successful it is. I think John also asked about are promoters making money out of doing this. It's a long game. Um, you know, you you first need to prove that you've got a quality product, and I think the whole PBC model started off with an okay product, and it's gone downhill to a, a less than okay product, and now it's starting to pick up, and now you're starting to see some quality being put onto it. At that point, the advertising revenue is clearly going to go. If you can start to improve the fights, you improve the number of viewers. When you improve the number of viewers, you can start to charge more for the advertising. So that's where the model is, is that you create fights and events that people want to watch, and it's on free-to-air TV. 
Um, with it being on free to air TV, you plow that advertising in and you recoup your money back eventually. That's the plan. I, I, so I can't can't say whether it's successful or not. Uh, Terry, if, if you don't want to come in on that, I've got another question for you. Um, in relation to that, uh, do promoters make any money from it? They wouldn't do it otherwise. So remember, you've got to speculate to accumulate. Um, if you look at the antitrust filings against Heyman, the uh, antitrust is anti-competitive, um, monopoly sort of speak yeah. in American law. So, so he's being sued because the idea is Heyman's been securing TV space exclusively, so kind of blocking out Gaza Golden Boy, uh, main event, Duva promotions, those sorts of people, and. It's definitely the allegations he has paid networks something like thirty eight million dollars thus far um, for exclusivity deals, which he's now waived. So the exclusivity arrangements yeah. is now waived, but he's spending a shitload of money on these TV dates, and from the initial figures, he's not recouping that on the advertising. So then you hope you can get some form of a licensing arrangement. But just to illustrate a point, I think Degel Jack did half a million views, which had that been in this country. You know, it had been a Sky box office event, or even if you'd done it Sky free to air, you'd have got viewings in the millions. So let's let's look at what Heyman's problem is. Heyman's problem is the Americans don't build local stars in local markets, which Heyman's trying to address now. You've got Broner fighting in Cincinnati. Um, you've got you know guys like Garcia fighting in New York. You know Garcia being from Philadelphia. It's only, what, is it an hour and 40 on the train? It might even just be 40 minutes on the train. It's not far. You can get from Philadelphia to New York. Without but on a side note, can Angel Garcia get on that train and fuck off somewhere? Little racist prick. Um, well, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, <laughs> I think he'd have some choice words for some of the some of the employees of the train companies. Anyway, um, sorry. Yeah. So, and then, <laughs> and then just finding all these hotbeds. So, you you know, Heyman wants that LA fighter and he wants a Miami fighter as well. So, you know, just to get that Southern revenue. So all of these things are important, but in terms of TV spots, if you apply it to the UK, you are limited by how much advertising you can have in any given hour, unlike the US. So there's only so much you can make from advertising. You'd want to make money from the event and you'd want to make money from the pay-per-views. Sky can do Friday Fight Nights. Why? It's a throwaway. They've already invested so much money in sport. It's just another line in their budget. So that's fine. ITV will struggle because... You know, they need the advertising for that. That's exactly what I mean. Their model's based on advertising because we don't pay much more than a license fee. So uh, we'll move away. I think we'll, um, the Americans will become more like the British, and it'll be about live gates. It'll be about attendances with a little bit of TV thrown in. A question from last week, uh, where the pod was mysteriously kidnapped, um, was, uh, and it was to do with the Degale Jack fight. Do referees ever score? Sorry, do judges ever score around a tie? Given how how tight those rounds were, um, yes, they were struggling for it. So, so there you go. So you, you can have a ten ten. You can have a ten ten, but it's not it's not illegal. They can, but, but it just doesn't happen that that often, right? You wouldn't encourage it out of a referee. I've never been on a refereeing or judges uh, course or whatever, but yeah, you can have a ten ten. Uh, if you're Carl Froch scoring on Sky, then you give out 10-10s pretty much every round. Um, but yeah, you can have it. It's just you don't want to do it that often because it becomes a headache then to split the fight later on. I love listening to him on the uh, the Jack DeGale fight. It was like, Froch has got um, 
Foch has got Jack up by two rounds and then Foch came on and went, it's not what I think, it's just what I think the judge is going to think. Submit <laughs> <laughs> it by proxy. What? <laughs> All right, that is the most bizarre way of That's judging me. wiping my hands. <laughs> yeah. Any accountability. I hate responsibility. Um, will Mayweather take over as the... Uh, take over the role as the biggest narcissist promoter from Eddie. Terry, these are quick nip and tucks from You know my Marshall. answer to this, though. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. You already know the fucking answer. Yeah, sorry, three times um, Let's be absolutely clear about Jack DeGale. Mayweather brought a lot more attention to that fight than it would have had. Like, no, no disrespect to both boxers, but that's a trade fight. Badu Jack versus James DeGale is a trade fight. It's a fight that people in boxing would like to see because it answers the question of who's number one it doesn't permeate much beyond the boxing world and when mayweather shows up you then get tmz coming up you then get or, or you, you get the celebrity baggage basically. exactly but you want that because it lets people know there's a fight happening so when people say floyd's a narcissist yes but in terms of boxing he has every right to be so i am more than happy to have mayweather involved in boxing in that way um, unlike Eddie, Mayweather was able to talk for his fighter. Jack's not much of a talker. So, you know, Floyd knew he had to do the talking for him. You know, while I wouldn't put a microphone in front of James DeGale, not, you know, nothing up against him. It's just he doesn't know how to put words together and he doesn't understand there's a difference between talking and communicating, whereas Floyd does. So will he be the biggest narcissist? I think he already was. I think it's good for boxing. So long as he's relevant and he's still the biggest star in the sport, it can only be good for everyone's pockets. Uh, Martin, a quick uh, touch on Javonta Davis. Really exciting fighter. Yeah, loved him. What a finish. Um, I mean, I'm not going to talk too much about it now because it's kind of old news, isn't it, really? In boxing, it moves quickly. Um, but yeah, what a star. I think... Um, I'm glad for Stephen Smith that he never got in that ring with Javonta Davis because I think he would have got battered quite badly. What I would like to see is Paul Smith get in the ring with Javonta Davis because I think Javonta Davis would smash him to pieces despite being half his size or maybe a quarter of his size. Depends what weight Paul Smith's packing right now. So a shout out to last week's question contributors. Uh, they may be this week. I haven't gone through them necessarily all yet. Uh, but David McGinley, thank you very much. Scott McGee, uh, Paul Hinley, John Malal, James Sunderland, Alex Kingsley and Sam Khan. What was Sam's question? Uh, Sam's question was, uh, what is the history uh, of Matrim and DeGale? Because Eddie was hanging off him uh, and the event like it paid for the damn like thing. <laughs> well, no, he wasn't. This is her irony. Before that result was announced, Eddie Hearn was everywhere. Eddie Hearn was everywhere. Eddie Hearn was just inviting himself to places he wasn't meant to be. And he was talking up himself without talking up his fighters. So when you make a speech at a fight press conference and you're talking about how good Britain is and you don't mention O'Hara Davis and you don't mention Craig Richards and you don't mention all these other guys who you're supposed to be invested in. You don't mention Isaac Chamberlain. So all of a sudden, you know, you're looking and going, you're talking about this British invasion and you're not, you're not promoting your fighters. You're promoting yourself. Okay, well done. So come the end of the fight, when everyone thinks DeGale's won and Eddie's pally pally, that was great. And then come the verdict. I know 
I've seen boxers retreat to the ropes like Zoltan Zabo did yesterday, but none quicker than Eddie Hearn, who was just literally <laughs> hanging off the ropes. Yeah, it reminded me of that Homer Simpson gif, the one where he backs into the uh, <laughs> backs into the hedge, yeah. <laughs> and it's just eyes. <laughs> and James had to call him, and you can see Eddie was just like, no, 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 because the, the, Eddie Hearn's yeah. mouth has painted him into this really horrible corner where he has De Gale, a guy he can't really match because there's no one of substance for him to fight. And now he has Callum Smith in a fight Callum Smith doesn't want because there's no money in it. Callum Smith hasn't waited for a title fight not to make any money. So Eddie Hearn will have to do some clever movement. Maybe he's trying to swap number one contenderships so Smith can fight for the IBF. But I don't know how the hell you do that. But it goes to show that whatever people want to say, Eddie's out for himself. And what we saw in New York was the real Eddie Hearn. So all this IFL stuff that he talks about, all the smiling, all the, yeah, Cougs, Gucci jacket, all that nonsense is great. But the reality is Eddie Hearn is a ruthless businessman. And in, in DeGale, not even losing, drawing, he realized there's no money because the rematch with Jack is not going to happen now. Jack will go for Stevenson. And DeGale's left without a dance partner. Groves won't take the fight anytime soon. You can't fight Smith because, you know, governing bodies are in the way. So he's stuck now. Super middleweight's a dead division for him. Uh, and finally, a shout out to Titch from last week. Uh, that's, that's a shout out to everyone who did contribute with questions this week. Dave McGinley contributes again. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to hear predictions for the Warren announcement tomorrow. But more importantly, it'd be more interesting for you guys to set a minimum standard. End quote. Um, guess. What I mean is, tell you what would... Tell me what would um you what would make the BT star good or bad for Warren? Um, yeah, so you get the picture of what what he's sort of asking. Yeah, so he's asking us what's below acceptable, what's acceptable, and what would exceed expectations. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, oh, and what you necess- and then what you expect actually expect. What I expect um is <laughs> from what we've heard stories of. <laughs> what I'm expecting is that we'll hear Liam Smith. Um, to fight against Liam Williams. I would expect Joseph Parker to be coming over to fight uh, Huey Fury in April. Uh, other than that, uh, what do I expect? I expect a fairly underwhelming set of announcements. I think those two alone will headline, make headlines um, as being good fights. Billy Joe Saunders teamed up with Adam Booth. Uh, he needs a relevant fight. So what am I expecting? I'm expecting something like Billy Joe Saunders versus Tommy Langford, say. Uh, something that's not going to set the world alight because Golovkin and Canelo are tied up. So who is there for him to fight a middleweight? So, you know, aside from that, what are we going to get? Josh Warrington. Um, you know, in an ideal world, we get Josh Warrington in with Scott Quigg. Do you know what I mean? Like Josh Warrington in with Lee Selby. If they announce that, that's above expectations. That's beyond expectations. But I'm not expecting it to happen. What I'll be really, you know, disappointed with is if we hear about Liam Williams making a southern, uh, sorry, a British title defence against Ahmet Patterson. I'll be disappointed if, you know, the main announcement is Bradley Skeet versus Shane Singleton for the British title. You know, that kind of thing is already happening on Box Nation. We don't need to hear about that as part of the BT package. What we need to hear is how they've improved. So uh, a sort of um, 
a birthing question from that previous question, if you like, comes in the form of his, of his third question, which is an idea that came to his head the other day. Um, obviously, it's best for a boxer to break a monopoly and have competition, but too much competition can actually also be bad for sport. My reasoning being, if too many fighters get fragmented and nailed down to specific channels, could we potentially get into a position that fights the fans want to see become impossible uh, as all the fighters in the UK are, can't compete on certain channels because they're nailed down to you know, other specific channels. you got to look at wildlife. you got to look at the Serengeti. <laughs> in, in some phases, you get plenty of lions and they get hungry and they feed on the buffalo. So the buffalo population drops. There's not enough buffaloes for the lions. The lion population drops. Less lions to chase the buffaloes, the buffalo population rises. So what, what I mean by this analogy is simple. There has to be enough quality content to sustain the number of operators in any market, especially in a sport like boxing, which is about authenticity and it's about highlights. Do we have enough? We've discussed this earlier. We don't have enough fighters who can generate that content. You know, Warren and Hearn could hoover up all the top talent in this country and just run a duopoly. That's what they could do. Just like Showtime and HBO do. Just hoover everyone up and say, if you want to make money, you find one of these two networks. You have these wild cards that operate. So you have David Hay saying, I want to break that duopoly. You have Eubank Jr. and his father say, I want to break that duopoly. And you have Joshua, who's in that duopoly, but realizes he needs to step out maybe in the next 12 months. What would happen if those three guys teamed up? And I don't think it's impossible because what you'll start to realize is the boxing pool is not that rich. And between Eubank, Hay and Joshua, you have probably the three biggest revenue generators you're going to have. So we're going to have a 2017 where we have four or five broadcasters involved in boxing. I think two years from now, we'll, we'll be back to Warren and Hearn with everyone else realizing it's a lot harder to penetrate than they thought because you need the cross-pollination. Eddie Hearn has Sky that does football. You can cross-pollinate your football audience into your boxing audience. Same with BT Sport. ITV can cross-pollinate its entertainment shows and its, you know, factual stuff in with its boxing. And then everyone else is struggling for an in after that. So I, there, are too many, there are too many people and there are too many dates at the moment for us to be excited about the quality. Let's give it two years and see who's still standing. I'd stand by, I think I've said it before, but of those kind of floating fighters that are knocking about, so ones which don't necessarily have the attachment to Frank Warren or Eddie Hearn, if you said, I mean, <laughs> Channel 5 already got the um, the McGuigans in their Cyclones. Shane trains George Groves, he trained, uh, trains Carl Frampton, he trains David Hayes. If you took those three, <clears throat> you've got Josh Taylor there as well, so if those are all joined forces and went underneath the Cyclone, Haymaker, whatever, promotions, and then if you took, say, a James DeGale, who's clearly got a very fragmented relationship with Eddie Hearn, and then if there were some others, like Lee Selby has the same kind of relationship with Hearn, if those ones all came together, they would create the biggest stable, the like maybe not the biggest in numbers, but the biggest in name and the biggest in uh, achievement, like... That's what they ought to do, rather than all going off. Add Eubank Jr. into that as well, but rather than all going off and doing their own thing, is actually all of those that are pissed off with Hearn, which Frampton is, which Hay is, which Eubank Jr. is, which DeGale clearly is. All of those come together and join forces. That's when you suddenly get 
a different kind of power rather than ones going off on their own um their own ventures which you know together they would be an awful lot stronger yeah just a quick shout out to the drawing of a round 1010 round uh, that was bruce howie that asked that question uh thank you very much bruce arthur wallace asks if conor mcgregor bear with me it is a boxing question was to step into the ring with a welterweight allegedly it's pacquiao and malignaggi who have put their hands up from a boxing perspective which of those would be the best to represent the sport against a ufc champion either of you wish to answer this whatever um well i won't put him in with the best because i think that insults our sport so you'd want to dig up someone who will give him a pasting but boxing fans don't rate um <laughs> i'd whack amir khan in there no john o'donnell john o'donnell who's a former commonwealth uh welterweight champion he's currently the southern area welterweight champion people don't necessarily know him he has the skills, the ability. He'll give Bradley skeet nightmares if he ever gets that British title shot. John O'Donnell can't whack particularly hard, but he is one of the most skillful boxers at that weight. People don't necessarily know him or rate him, but he's coming back. He's got a lot that's going on this year. I'd put him in before. You, you just said that to promote John O'Donnell. Nah, what, I love John. What day is he fighting? Where is he fighting? Uh, he's fighting for the English title against Eric Ochieng on March the 18th at York Hall. Okay, just glad we've got that in there. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I'm quite uh, friendly with John. He's a lovely bloke. But he would school Conor McGregor in a boxing match. No doubt about it. And it would embarrass Conor McGregor because it's not... You know, he's doing it because he wants uh, Floyd Mayweather and he wants the money that comes along with him. Don't give him that. Give him John O'Donnell at York Hall. Fuck him. Would he even take that? No, because that's not his... He that, doesn't that's get the model. money out of it. <laughs> his, his model is, I want 50 million to fight Floyd... And then it doesn't matter what I do after that because I can do everything for fun. Um, Hasn't Dana White offered a, uh, 25 million each or something? Well, look, Floyd said it best, right? I know he said, I know he said, what, 100, didn't he? No, he just said, look, Dana White has a boss. I can't talk to Dana White. He has a boss. And he, what did he say? I remember when Dana White used to carry my bags. Because people <laughs> don't realise this. So when Floyd started out as a pro, when he moved to Vegas... Dana White used to make boxing gear, much like these people, you know, Raging Beasts and all these sorts of people. Um, so he used to give Floyd his equipment and Floyd used to have the little badge on his shorts, I think. And that was how Dana White got into boxing because he used to train around with Roger Mayweather and all those those sorts of things. Do you mean like Dave Coldwell used to do for David Hay and carry his t-shirts? <laughs> well, well yeah, but I, I don't think Dana had to have his taken in though. <laughs> But oh, big shout out to Dave Corwell. Quite, I mean, he's a he's a good guy, you know, and hopefully he'll be successful. But you know, yeah, D- David got at him a little bit there. It was nice. <laughs> Sam Khan asks, "What's your position on ITV to move the now put the Eubank undercard to pay per view?" It's already been done today. Announced. It's all on pay per view. Good, um, as it, it should be. It, it tells us two things. It tells us number one, they got it wrong in the beginning. The idea that people will will, you know, smoke the free crack and then want to buy more. <laughs> um, and that, that, that clearly hasn't been the case because people really don't know who the hell these guys are. So what you say is, we're holding you hostage. We're holding this card hostage. You've got to pay to watch it. Put it behind a paywall and you can collect it. And people will watch it just to hate. That's what I love about humanity. People will watch it just to hate Whether the they'll pay is a different question. People will pay a tenner just to go, Eubank's a piece of shit. 
You know that. And and, and they'll have the evidence. That's what, So yeah, I watched it. I can tell you he's a dickhead because I watched it. And you know, same thing with Mayweather. People watched it because I wanted to see him get, I mean, get humiliated. Either have such a rubbish fight or get knocked out. You know, it's always been the model. This is the question we've all been waiting for. Damien Taylor asks the question that could take us on to the end of the evening. Who in the world of boxing has blocked Martin on Twitter? <laughs> so I have. <laughs> I'm just doing it now. I can only talk about those that I know of. There are probably many that I don't know. So I'll give you a quick run through. Um, let's start from the top or the earliest. David Hay, um, he blocked me. Woo. <laughs> I can't. And he, and the thing is, he doesn't even manage his own account. <laughs> he does apparently read every tweet that he gets. I heard. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm blocked by hate. I can't give you a reason behind that because I can't remember what the reason is. Um, not sure. Adam Booth. Adam Booth blocked me because um, when he pulled his, he signed Lucian Reed up. Um, for, he became Lucian Reed's coach. First thing he did with Lucian was pull him out of an English title fight with Josh Kennedy. Um, so I tweeted him asking him why he was uh, like ruining his lad's career or something along those lines. Uh, yeah, blocked by him. Scott Quigg, because I made an amazing tribute video to uh, Scott Quigg for the ring walk that he did from uh, Berry Le- what he did from his front door to Berry Leisure Centre. If you don't know what I'm on about, Google it. Um, Scott Quigg, Berry Leisure Centre, front door. Those terms will find you it. Um, where he actually fucking did a ring walk from his front door to a leisure centre. <laughs> <laughs> so this was when he was under Ricky Hatton, I think. And so he was fighting locally to himself. And to prove how local it was, he's crossing a zebra crossing. He's in his boxing shorts and it shows him entering the arena uh, and walking down to the ring. What would have been awesome is if the car's just hadn't stopped. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he had to get a lollipop lady to help him cross that road. Um, yeah, so now I'm blocked by Scott for that. Eddie Hearn. Um, <laughs> Eddie Hearn, because I asked him not that long back uh, to update us on how the investigations were going in Tenerife for Kel Brook and his stabbing. He doesn't like being asked that question, so he blocked me. Paul Smith, I've no idea. I've never tweeted Paul Smith in my life, but he's a sensitive soul, bless him. Um I have no idea on that one. At least you've not been blocked by someone as humble as, say, Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anthony Joshua because he tweeted out a, like one of these um, typical, oh, retweet this to be in with a chance of winning these earphones and this towel and all this Anthony Joshua snapback shit. And so I just responded to the tweet saying, uh, I hope I win this because I'm going to sell it for three times the face value of it all. Um, on StubHub. <laughs> so that got me the block from Joshua. So I think that's it, but there may be more that I'm not aware of. Because, wow, uh, you put me to shame. I am Tony Bell, you. Yeah. For the circumcision line. <laughs> so I, like, I think I, I tweeted something like, well, what, what's going to happen when the Bellin gets circumcised? <laughs> blocked. <laughs> um, blocked by Dillian White for, uh, well, actually, all I said was, People in Miguel's are betting money on Ian Lewison. And I got blocked for that. And, you know, I didn't think Ian was going to win, but 7-1 to one were nice odds. So I was like, it's, it's a reasonable bet if you got spared 10 or 20 quid. Um, Leon McKenzie. 
I didn't even know he was on Twitter. <laughs> what the hell did I say about Leon McKenzie? I quite like Leon McKenzie. I have no issue with him. But I guess I've been blocked by him. Boxing Kingdom 14. <laughs> Are they back? I don't know. Well, the thing is, we're all blocked, so we never know when... The, I, I, it's If Twitter could ever have bipolar accounts, I think Boxing Kingdom is one. So what they're good at is stealing other people's information and claiming it as their own and then going, sources tell us. So they will steal your stuff, but they buy their followers. You know, you know they buy their followers and they harass people. And I got blocked for basically saying, mate, please retweet us. Where are the facts? Show some facts and we'll be all right. And I got blocked. Um, But I'm in with Hearn, in with Joshua, in with Hay. There's one other that I forgot, actually. One of the biggest names out of my list. Uh, X Factor winner, Steve Brookston. (laughs) 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 I can't remember the reason, but I did tweet him some shit about something. I'm trying to think who else. I'm surprised I don't get blocked more often. But then, you know. Not everyone's as sensitive as Paul Smith. Yeah, I he think... searches his own name. I'm sure of it. He searches his own name for people giving him shit and just blocks him. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think he just preemptively does it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you look like someone who doesn't like me. Blocked. <laughs> I probably deserved it. I just I didn't ever tweet him. <laughs> <laughs> At least you know that you probably deserved. But all of these, I understand the reasons. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I quite like the. Uh, I'm going to sell this stuff for three times face value. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do quite like that. Anthony didn't. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Um, we didn't even discuss Joshua, you know, is he Muslim? Is he not Muslim? Oh, fuck. who cares? Let him get on with his life. But I love the the reactions to that have been absolutely brilliant. Mate, you just lost another follower because Joshua obviously yeah. monitors each individual follower. Mate, that's a paedophile religion. All that sort of stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to buy another ticket. What? Because he's got a different religious view to you. He's not even said he's a fucking Muslim. He just showed a picture of him praying. In sunglasses, just for the rest of the In sunglasses. <laughs> Stay humble, dude. Stay humble, praying in sunglasses. <laughs> he does what he wants. He does what he wants. <laughs> uh, yeah, stood up doing it. He <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> Oh, mate, they were just... Like, yeah, the MC just, Hammer trousers are for a bit over the top. Nah, he, yeah, I, I was I was genuinely surprised by that reaction. Um, I felt like saying to those guys, you do know he's black as well, right? And just to see them lose their fucking minds. <laughs> and you do know Ali and Tyson also were Muslims at certain periods, you know, in or out of their career. They're, they're probably never aware of that. But to be honest, like, how many people have turned up at Wembley? 80,000, 90,000? How many of those are boxing fans? Maybe fifteen to twenty thousand. You've got seventy odd thousand people there that don't go to boxing that aren't boxing fans that follow Anthony Joshua. They're sports fans. They're probably fucking I don't know some dodgy old football fans that you know have got inherent racism in them. So fuck them. Right. Well, there you go. Then that was our ten penneth on that. That's the podcast over. Let's go, guys. Okay, David McGinley, uh, another question. What potential push on with his career under Booth does Billy Joe Saunders have? Blocked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he, yeah, he, Billy Joe has blocked me on Twitter as well. Has he? Yes. <laughs> N- never tweeted him, never tweeted about him. Quite like him. Strange. Um, he doesn't like you. 
so Billy Joe's a strange one. I, look, so everyone, you know, I've said on the podcast before, I think if you start with a trainer, you should finish with a trainer. I, I, I don't care how good or how bad they are. It's a rare man who's become a better boxer with another trainer. It is a rare man. Um, you know, Lennox with Emmanuel Stewart, maybe Vlad with Emmanuel Stewart, but Emmanuel Stewart's a special fighter, a special trainer, sorry. Don't edit that out. I want people to see my flaws. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Billy Joe leaving the Tibbs camp. And look, man, in terms of middleweights, the Tibbs have history. Right? Look, they, they turned Nigel Bent, you know, into a more scientific wrecking machine. You know, before he was wild, they put a bit of science behind it. You know, the Tibbs brothers, or the Tibbs family, sorry, Jimmy and Mark, smart boxing people. They've been in the sport long enough. They know their stuff. So to move from them to Adam Booth, especially when you're approaching your late 20s, I'm like, what are you expecting the improvement to be? So it can only be in terms of physical conditioning, how you live, because Adam will push you in that sense. Adam Booth will really push you. Um, Tactically, Adam's pretty astute, but is there much of a difference between him and the Tibbs? They all know the sport. Um, Adam will have you boxing to a plan. I don't think Billy Joe needed that. I think he's naturally skillful enough to operate in a ring. But it will be the sort of, you know, the, the training Adam does, making you more explosive, you know, making you stronger. You understanding your own body and how your body works and that empowering you to try new things in the ring. All these small things that Adam Booth works on. Um, I know there's controversy about his training methods. Um, my view is he's definitely someone you train with when you were young. Um when you're getting to 29, 13, you've got to manage your body through training camps. It might be a bit hard, but my belief is Adam Booth probably evolved and he's probably got, you know, a more body friendly training style. So it'll be good for Billy Joe in the sense of he shouldn't be ballooning up to 180, 190 pounds like he does. He should be slightly more explosive and should understand what he's doing in the ring a bit more. Um, but I wouldn't have left the tips camp. I, I just don't think switching trainers is beneficial in the long run. We've come to that point in the show, gents, where we have your favourite part, Argue the Inarguable. Yeah, you love it. Right, who wants to go first? The most uncomfortable question is second. <laughs> go on, Terry, go first. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the uncomfortable one. Okay. I'm taking this for Terry. Terry, I'll never get bored... Of Bellew and Hay slagging each other off on various platforms before their fight because they're both so articulate and well spoken. I was in northwest London and the Jewish community was so excited about the circumcision of the Bellend live on Sky. Um, so I think they're flying experts over from Israel to make sure that the circumcision is complete and utter. Um, A clean you break. Know, I, I I think, you know, David Hay will obviously be administering it. And I know he's been tr- in training for a few weeks now. And this will be a complete and clean circumcision. There might not be any blood. It will be that clean. <laughs> that had nothing to do with the question, brother. Yeah. I'm just going to point that out. <laughs> Purely about cutting off foreskin. I wanted to call Tony for 30 seconds. That's all that entails. <laughs> Smoke and mirrors. <laughs> a politician's answer and argue the inarguable. We're post-truth here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Martin, I put a brave face on it, but getting blocked on Twitter keeps me up at night. It does. Um, it does keep me up at night trying to find more people to get me blocked whilst my uh, one-and-a-half-year-old daughter wakes me. Uh, so whilst I'm up during the uh, the long, cold nights during the winter... 
I'll sit around on Twitter and work out a next person that I should be blocked by. Um, so, you know, I've got a hit list at home. I'm not going to share it with you lot publicly. But yes, being blocked on Twitter does keep me up at night, along with my uh, my one and a half year old daughter. Well, as it happens, we've got someone on the podcast that might actually be able to help you with that. <laughs> Various <laughs> ways to turn their name into awkward medical procedures. <laughs> Just a quick one. For all the listeners out there, I'd really like people to do this, and this is our 2017 target. Can we get hold of either La Guardia Civil or the police department in Tenerife, and can we find out where we are with the investigation? <laughs> yes! Yeah, don't they, don't don't ask Eddie Hearn. They, they must be on Twitter. Yeah, it must be a. Everyone find out where are we on the investigation? Has the has the suspect been apprehended? Has they been caught? Do we know why Kel Brook got stabbed? Yes, I do. But I'm not allowed to say it. <laughs> Tag Eddie Hearn into it as well. Don't forget. Not that. yet though. But let, let, let's try and understand this because the boxing world needs to understand what happened. Like. One of our greatest boxing talents was nearly killed in Tenerife. And you'd, you'd have almost tragic thought... Tragic accident. And you'd have almost thought, you know, he had just slipped and broken a nail the way it happened. I'm like, well, can we... You know, let's investigate this further because I think we all want to know what did we happen. We need to know, not want to know. We, we need to the know. The streets want to know. We need to know the truth about it. So... Let's get in contact with whoever the Tenerife Police Department yeah. are. We'll or even the mayor. Out. The mayor of Tenerife. Someone to go, look, we know Kelbrook had an incident here, but we're somewhat concerned that you guys haven't found the suspect or the culprit. Can you tell us what you have done to ascertain who did this and yeah. why? Yeah. And Kel needs to know because, you know, I'm sure it's a bit of a faded memory to him these days. I'm sure Eddie reminds him every time he thinks of leaving. <laughs> <laughs> So you're both going to get blocked by the Tenerife mayor, the Tenerife police. Can I keep ignoring Al? If you know what's good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Got another missed call. Because, look, um, did I say it last week or the week before? Uh, Um, It blends into one, mate. We wouldn't have heard it last week. (laughs) Well, he would have. (laughs) Look, everyone knows Brooke didn't want the fight with Golovkin and allegedly pretty much just as, as soon as it got hairy he just downed tools and left took his money and, and ran essentially quite sensibly too and allegedly that was always the plan never to go more than five rounds so you have to ask yourself why that fight was taken and you know if you were forced to take a fight against Golovkin which really did your career no good wouldn't you look to sign with someone else but what if someone had something on you which meant you had to stay there you know it's not a good position to be in. That's why, as fans, we need to find out. We need to free, free a boxer. Free Brooke. Yeah, we need to find out what happened in Tenerife. Let's just know and say we're okay with it. And then he can leave. Right, I think we've wrapped everything up now. Let's free Brooke. <laughs> Let's free Brooke. Just in case we were in danger of not, A, offending anyone or infringing on some sort of slander or producing some sort of outrage, you've just sort of tried to at least get there in some part in the last sort of minute or two. So I'm yeah. glad. I mean, you guys are never, we never are far game. away from we that. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing left to say, but please share the podcast on wherever. Just pin somebody's ears back. Make them and while you it. listen to this, just know for the next two and a half minutes, we're going to be shitting ourselves hoping this is recorded. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can get in touch with us at New Age Boxing UK, at New Age Podfather and at The Seven Wolves. 
these two guys write articles on newageboxing.co.uk and Terry, remind me of yours? The sevenwallsboxing.com. I lost the other domain because I was slacking, so I'm trying to get that back. But for now, it's the sevenwallsboxing.com. Jump in there, get involved. It's it's fun. Um, podcast fun, not quite, but, you know, catering for that corporate market. Got to Got to get that sponsorship. Uh, Martin, well, probably would say it himself, but he's on top of it and he gets uh, articles more than I can possibly fathom out in a week. Uh, so, yeah, get on there, get up to date with that. And uh, There's nothing else to say, but thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week. Take care, one and all. Take care. And he hasn't apologised yet, has he? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna get it up, 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 get it